we've been talking about the perspective on um, there's the three people groups on the planet, right? The nations of the earth, the nation of Israel, and the holy nation, which is the church. So that's that's where we were in our last session. Um, and um, our scripture that we had for that is 1 Corinthians 10.32, reading it out of the King James. Why don't you just share that, because that'll just, um, we'll pick from there today. Um, Give no offense, neither to the Jews, nor to the Gentiles, nor to the church of God. And so we say that those are the major three people groups that heaven sees, right? Um, the nations of the earth, uh, they're, they're the nations. And I know we like to think that um, because we're Americans, our nation is, has some kind of special covenant with God. Now, don't, don't. Um, there have been godly nations and so on where people stood for God and so on, but it's not the same thing as having a covenant like God had with the children of Israel. Okay. And then it's certainly not like having the new covenant that God has with us as the church. And so we want to make sure we keep those, those places uh, right. So in our last session, what we did was... Um, we talked about the fact that um, that uh, there were, after the Tower of Babel, this is just the review pieces, after the Tower of Babel, God separated the nations, and then he called Abraham, Abraham out to be um, part of his holy nation, and he would make him a great nation, and through him, all the families of the earth would be blessed. And he became Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Jacob became Israel, um, the family, the tribes, and then ultimately the nation of Israel. And God gave the covenants and so on through them. And then um, the uh, uh, Apostle Paul said in Romans 9, chapters 9 and 11, about the fact that God, even though the, the nation of Israel um, in mass rejected Jesus, as Messiah, that God hasn't forgot what the, the forefathers, the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob did. And he's, he says, while they're in that unbelief on a massive scale, God is causing the Gentiles to come into the church. But then he says, at some point in time, they'll be full and he'll go back and deal with his nation, Israel, right? And so um, when end-time events were given to people like Daniel and Zechariah, they only saw a certain perspective on it because God did not reveal to them the church, right? That was something that God ultimately revealed most clearly to the Apostle Paul. And he said in the previous dispensations, God never told him about that. He always told him about the fact that in the end times, the nation of Israel would go through a lot of heavy, hard tribulation, but that God would bring them out. But he never told him about that because that wasn't their business, right? God determines that he has certain secrets and he'll reveal those secrets in that time to those group of people. And he won't tell the other people because it's not their business. The church was not their business. So you can see Old Testament prophecy 
um, for end times, some people say, well, all of the stuff of the Old Testament is fulfilled. No, it's not. It can't be because they have prophesied stuff past this time that we live in that hasn't happened yet. It's not all fulfilled. All right. But they are seeing it from the nation of Israel's perspective. And so I can't get it all from them. That's why I have to study not just what God said to Daniel, telling him about Israel, but what God told to through Jesus and through Paul, um, through Jude and through James about the end times in which we live from the perspective of the church. All right. So then I um, talked about the fact that um, in Ephesians chapter two, that um, that we as we were Gentiles, we're no longer Gentiles. We're the church, right? That that's that supersedes who you used to be. All right, and you got to be more of a believer than um, an African American. So, if God tells you to forgive that person, and you think, well. They family used to be, you know, this and that. You still got to forgive them. Suck it up, buttercup, because you are more a believer than you are all of those other things that happened to you. Okay. Um, it was interesting. Um, you know, we live in Oakland County and, and uh, just reading in the thing that um, um, our our. County Commissioner L. Brooks Patterson, who a lot of people, he's a very polarizing figure, and they said he's not going to apply for another term because he has stage four pancreatic cancer and stuff. And so um, I, I said, thoughts and prayers are with him. That's the only thing I put out. And I wanted them to see in that feed somebody whose face looks like mine saying that I'm thinking about him and praying for him. Because they don't think, because they... And, and there's other people who look like me who said, well, you know, good riddance, he's racist, all of that stuff. And I'm like, that has nothing to do with it. I can't be that guy. Does that make sense? Okay. And, um, and I'm not going to let, I'm not going to let how he thinks about me control how I think about him. All right. So we have to be people who can rise above that because I'm more Christian than all of that other stuff. Because when that stuff going down, I'm still going up, right? And so we talked about the fact that when we were Gentiles and outside of the covenant, that God took us from the back, and then he brought us who didn't have a covenant with those that have a covenant and made the two one. The scripture says, Ephesians 2, those who were near, talking about the nation of Israel, we who are far off became one, making the two one in Christ. And they were closer, but this ain't horseshoes. So close is not good enough. They were, they were near, we were far off. But then what I said was there's scripture that says that since they stayed in the same place when God was trying to move them in Christ, that we jumped to the head of the line. So the last shall be first, Jesus said it, and the first last. So let's look at that in Galatians chapter 4, 22 through 28. Galatians 4, 22. For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by the bondwoman, the other by the free woman. 
But he who was of the bondwoman was born according to the flesh, and he of the free woman through promise, which things are symbolic or an allegory is what the King James says. For these are the two covenants, the one from Mount Sinai, one from Mount Sinai, that's the Mosaic covenant, that's where the Ten Commandments came, right? One from Mount Sinai in Arabia, and the one from Mount Sinai corresponds to Jerusalem, which now is and is in bondage with her children. But the Jerusalem above, that's the new Jerusalem, the heavenly Jerusalem, is free, which is the mother of us all. For it is written, rejoice, O barren, you who do not bear, break forth and shout, you who are not in labor, for the desolate has more, many more children than she who has a husband. Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are children of promise. So this scripture says, listen, in the old covenant, Abraham had two, two, two ladies, right? Hagar, who produced Ishmael after the flesh, and then the one who was by the promise of God, Sarah, God gave him the promise that through his faith that she would bear a son named Isaac. Now, in the Old Covenant, in the Old Covenant, the person, um, the Ishmaelite, they, they weren't the covenant ones. The Ishmaelite, right? That's 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 the Arabic people. That's really what that would that's really what that's saying. But you know, people that are Muslim will say that the, the real son of promise is Ishmael. Well, the Bible doesn't say that. I'm I I can't tell you if the Quran says that, I can tell you that the Bible does not. All right. The scripture clearly says that Ishmael was the one that was cast out and that the promise was with Isaac. But now this scripture says that the nation of Israel has assumed the same position as Hagar and Ishmael, and the church has assumed the position of Sarah and Isaac. So we were in the back. We, like, we weren't even in the running, right? We, we weren't even, because we, we weren't, because we weren't the seed of Abraham, even through Hagar and Ishmael, we weren't even in the same thing because God said, I'm going to bless. I'm going to bless Ishmael. Remember, Abraham said, oh, that Ishmael would live before you. He said, I'm going to bless him, but my promise is not with him. My promise is with Isaac, whom Sarah is going to give to you next year. She's going to give birth to. And so there was discussion about Ishmael and Isaac, but there was no discussion about our families. And here we are. Now, the scripture says here in the new covenant, that's why you can't get that if you don't read the new covenant. It says, whereas the Jews were in the prime position, the church has moved in front. We're the people at the head of the line. All right. We're the, the Sarah above the Sarah is the new Jerusalem above. And when you got saved, you were born from above. That's an alternate translation of what it means to be born again. You were born from the new Jerusalem. Your name is written in heaven. You have a citizenship. Man, these people that said, 
sit at the, uh, uh, you know, even, even in heaven, you know, there's walls. Stop it. Just stop it. Listen, you stay in your lane, I stay in my lane. Don't try to use the word of God to justify your xenophobia, your fear of foreigners. Don't, don't do that. Now, I'm not telling you if that's good policy or not. But when you step into the Bible, you're stepping into my lane. I'm not stepping into yours. You're stepping into mine. The gates of heaven are never closed. Right? And everybody who believes in Jesus can immigrate there. God is no respecter of person. But in every nation, all those that fear him and do righteousness are accepted by him. He's taking everybody in. He ain't leaving. No, there's no kids standing outside the gates in cages in heaven. Stop that. Stop it. Okay. So we have stepped into the front of the line. And now instead of them being in the place of Sarah, Sarah and um, Sarah and Isaac and and, and his natural seed being in a place of Hagar and Ishmael, they are in that place. Now, Sarah is the New Jerusalem, and the Isaac is us. That's what you just read, isn't it? So we have the better covenant. Now, he's still going to deal with them, because just like Abraham prayed and said, oh, that Ishmael will live before you, and God said, I done heard you, I'm going to do something for Ishmael. So God's still going to come back and deal with them. We read that in our last session. But the real promise is with us. All we got to do is learn how to work the covenant we got, and we got a better covenant. All right? We're just learning how to access the covenant we got. Our covenant has all the benefits of the covenant of Abraham without, without, uh, with, with enhancements because the blood is better, the covenant is better, the promises are better. We get all of the good stuff they got, and then we got better stuff that they could never get. All right. Amen. Amen. All right. So let's look at Revelation chapter seven, and we're going to read verses one through 17. And we'll see here that in the end times that that God's going to deal with these two people groups one from the national nation of Israel, and one the church. All right, so let's look at this. Revelation 7, 1 through 17. After these things, I saw four angels standing on the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, on the sea, and on any tree. Then I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels, to whom it was granted to harm the earth and sea, saying, do not harm the earth, the sea, or the trees till I have sealed the servants of God on their foreheads. And I heard the name of those who were sealed, 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel were sealed. Stop before I go any further. Um, if you listen to the Jehovah's Witnesses, 144,000 is the only people that can be saved. Um, the problem is, um, as I said before, 
if Jehovah's Witnesses would believe the witness of Jehovah, they leave the kingdom hall and get into the kingdom of heaven. Okay. Since they don't believe Jesus, the Jehovah's Witness about the Son, the scripture says that that heaven witness, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased, hear him. They believe in Jehovah, but they don't believe in how Jehovah witnessed about his son. And they're the, they're the predominant group teaching on end times in the book of Revelation when it is the revelation of Jesus Christ, and they can't get it. They can't understand it. Because if you don't understand who Jesus is, you can't get the rest of the book. It's a revelation of Jesus Christ. That's the title of the book, not just the book of Revelation. When John wrote it, he wrote it's the revelation of Jesus Christ. So they say these are the only people. When a few verses later, John says, I see a number that no man can number. Why can't, I mean, like, how can you read this first part and can't read this? It's in the same chapter, but that's a story for a different day. All right, verse 5. Of the tribe of Judah, 12,000 were sealed. The tribe of Reuben, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Gad, 12,000 were sealed. The tribe of Asher, 12,000. Tribe of Naphtali, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Manasseh, 12,000. Simeon, 12,000. Levi, 12,000. Issachar, 12,000. Zebulun, 12,000. Tribe of Joseph, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Benjamin, 12,000 were sealed. Okay, so they said that's the only people that get in. But hold it. Like, right after verse 7... Um, is verse 8, or excuse me, right after verse 8 is verse 9. After these things, I looked and behold a great number which no one could number of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, palm branches in their hands. That's the real Palm Sunday there. And crying out with a loud voice saying, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels stood around the throne, and the elders and the four living creatures fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom, thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders answered, saying to me, Who are these arrayed in white robes, and where did they come from? And I said to him, Sir, you know. So he said to me, These are the ones who came out of the great tribulation and washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will dwell among them. They shall neither hunger anymore nor thirst anymore. The sun shall not strike them nor any heat. For the lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them and lead them to living fountains of waters. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Amen. Glory to God. All right. So here... We see that God has taken those people that he pulled out and he's already got, he got them covered. All right. He still came back and dealt with national Israel. All right. So that's, that's, Pastor, why are you so hard on this point? Because there is a theology in the church that says that the church has replaced Israel. And I don't see that. God took us to the front of the line, but he said, I'm not forgotten. 
And he says, um, Israel doesn't need the church for Israel to be Israel, but the church can't be the church if Israel isn't Israel. If Abraham doesn't come to them, we can't be us. Because the blessing of Abraham comes upon the Gentiles through Jesus Christ. If there's no Abraham, there's no blessing for us. Okay? So we don't, they don't need us to be them, but we need them to be us. All right? And so God's going to deal with them. Now, I've told you also in previous sessions that the Scripture says that when the two witnesses come, that they will witness in a place that is spiritually Sodom in Egypt where the Lord was crucified. That means national Israel is not going to have it all right. So there are some people that say because they Israel, they can do no wrong. No, the Bible don't even say that. Don't, don't make it up. Does that make sense? So don't think, well, just, you know, but I'm very respectful when I deal with I have attended a service in a in a um, in a synagogue, a Jewish service. Now, um, I'm not converting to Judaism. Galatians says I should not do that. I know that I was there, and there was people who were Christians who converted back to Judaism. That's just like coming coming from being Sarah and saying I really want to be Hagar. Don't do that. The whole book of Galatians says don't do that. But then don't be disrespectful to them either. All right. Okay. So is, this, is, this, is this blessing you? Okay. So what do we do until then as we think about our nation? Well, we stand for righteousness within our nation. We use our faith and kingdom consciousness to model the kingdom and win people to Christ as salt and light, and we push back the devil and darkness with all our might. All right? What did Jesus say? He, he, he gave a parable of the kingdom was as a man who went away, a, a king who went away, and he said to his servants, occupy till I come. Do business on behalf of the kingdom until I come. All right? That's what we should be doing. Further, we utilize both our natural and spiritual citizenship as tools to advance the cause of Christ. Listen, I use everything I got. I will use the laws of this nation that says that, um, that uh, to help me keep the price of ministry as cheap as I can, that, I, that, that your contributions are tax exempt. Yes, I will. I don't have no problem with it. Some people say, ah, you just, child, please. Anything that's going to help me. I'm not, I'm not sinning. I'm trying to get God's work done. All right? So I'll use everything available to me as a natural citizen and as a citizen of heaven to do whatever God's called me to do. That's what, I'm try that's what he told me to do. Go into all of the world, preach the gospel to every creature, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. Lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. That's what I'm doing until he come back and get me. All right? And I'm taking every piece of authority I got to push back darkness wherever I see it. All right? I'm not just pushing back. I'm not just staying within the church. 
and they're not addressing things that's wrong in the community. I'm not letting them make me a mealy mouth Christian. All right. Now, I got a list for you. This is one list. You'll want to take a picture of this um, or you can take it down. Eight, eight dimensions of righteousness. All right. This is when the scripture says we seek the kingdom and its righteousness. These are the eight things I see about righteousness from scripture. So leave that up for a minute, and I'm going to talk to you about my list and how I got it. Um, he that knew no sin became sin, talking about Jesus, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So right standing is what Christ did for us. We don't earn it. We don't, we don't do anything to be made righteous. We just believe on Jesus, and he gives us right standing with God. Some people only deal with that. But not only do we have right standing with God, in 1 John it says, don't be deceived. He that does righteousness is righteous. So I have right standing, but I also live out right standards. That's what number two is. Right standards is, okay, right standing is he made you a member of the royal family. Right standards is you act like it. Okay, I don't start with number two because I cannot earn my righteousness. I can't, I can't start out with two and get number one. All right? I don't do something and I don't do enough acting right to be made right. I'm made right, but then I yield to the righteousness that he made me and then it changes my behavior. All right? That's number, that's so right standing comes before right standards. Number three is right solutions. In 2 Corinthians 9, where it talks about the people who give, right? God is able to make all grace abound towards you. And then it says, you increase the fruits of your righteousness. A person who gives, God gives you better solutions. Okay. Um, somebody put online, do, do I got to give to receive my promise? Depends on what promise you want to receive. Some, some promises, yes. And then the statement was made, you, you can't guilt me in a given. Listen, I don't, I don't, I'm not a guilt, you know, you know how people throw rocks and stuff. That's, and it's, it's a friend, so I'm not mad, but um, it's not a guilt issue for me. Do you have to give? Yes. Do you have to give to me? No. <laughs> yes, you have to give. No, you do not have to give to me or to my ministry. <laughs> but if you're not giving, there are certain promises you will not access. And that has nothing to do with me trying to guilt you. All right? Now, not every promise is like that. But listen, Solomon gave, and then God gave him the wisdom to have right solutions. Those two things weren't disconnected. God appearing to him that night and saying, ask me what you will, wasn't disconnected from the fact that he gave a thousand burnt offerings that morning. All right. So I want you to know that according to 2 Corinthians 9, if you are a giver, right solutions is yours. Don't run away from problems on the job when you can win the wisdom when your giving makes you have the wisdom to solve the problems that other people can't. 
That's why you need to run towards the problems because so you can get paid and bring your tithes and offering to destiny, Generation Church. All right, number four there on our list is right situations. Um, this is where Jesus told John the Baptist, suffer it to be so when he said, baptize me, for it fulfills all righteousness. Uh, we know this in the negative because people's lives go down the wrong road when they are in the wrong place at the wrong time. What this scripture says is you can be in the right place at the right time doing the right thing, and then you can maximize your progress towards destiny. That's what number four is. Everybody can see it in a negative. They always see, well, he just seemed to be, man, you know, he was going good, but he hung out at the, he went to the party that one night, and then every, the fight broke out. Next thing you know, he's in prison for a bunch of years. Wrong place, wrong time. What this scripture says, for us, there's a dimension of righteousness where God can guide us, and we're at the right place at the right time. All right? That's number four. Number five is rights, right systems. Right systems deals with the, um, you know, there are some things that are just wrong. It's wrong for a government to poison the water of its citizens and then try to sweep it under the rug. But that's a systemic issue. That's not, a, that's not just a person. That's a system. Jim Crow was a system that said it was okay. Listen, I mean, here we are. I've, I've seen several cases in our nation where black women had guns, were under threat of attack. Some of them showed their guns. Some of them shot them in the air. And then, and then they are in prison for defending themselves. And then I saw this video where a white man with a gun in his head abuses a black woman under threat of death because he got the gun while he's hitting her. He get a misdemeanor, a fine, he's free. And then a black woman is in prison because she was trying to defend herself and her kids. The system is wrong. See, when we think about right systems, there is institutionalized sin. Things that are just wrong, unjust, unfair, unrighteous. So what God does is he raises people up to go into those systems and change that stuff. I mean, think about Thurgood Marshall and all of the fighting that he did against segregation and then rose all the way up to the Supreme Court to turn around the wrong stuff that was done in this nation. I want God to raise up more people to rise up. And we need God to raise up people to stand against injustice in, in the system, right? I, I believe one of the reasons why God allows me to be at the table um, in, 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 in my sphere of influence is so people that look like me aren't the last hired and the first fired. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm -hmm. Nope. Nope. Not that one. And I'm opening my mouth because I, I, I'm watching how that stuff is being done. And I'm supposed to. Heaven backs me up when I do it. All right. That's right. Systems. 
write sentences, deals with, with how judges do what they do. They are told when Moses set up judges, he said, judge, write sentences. I mean, the little kid, <laughs> you shouldn't be killing, like, selling cigarettes shouldn't give you the death penalty on the corner. Because that's happened to black people. The sentences were wrong. Then a, a white guy rapes a woman on a priest's prestigious college campus, and then the judge says, he looked like my son, man, and I don't want him to spend the rest of his life suffering for this mistake, and he get off. He don't even have to register as a sex offender. Because he look a certain way. We don't want to destroy his whole life. He didn't mind destroying the black kid's life. That's not a right sentence. Okay? So that's a dimension of righteousness. Don't get in there and make them all, you know, everybody look like you got to, you know, you got to watch that. If everybody, let's give everybody a break. We want to give breaks. Don't you make money from marijuana after you done locked the person up for life who was selling the same amount now that you've made it legal? What? I, and listen, I'm not for marijuana for the people that's on the thing. What I am against is I'm against things that are not right sentences. See, that's a righteousness issue. And the fact that you can do that and you go to church and everybody thinks that's okay. That's not okay. And I'm going to say it because that's a righteousness issue. All right. So that's right. Sentences. Number seven is right steps. That's um, God leading you in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Okay. That's for me. That's in our language. We call that the destiny path. God, I don't, I don't know uh, what steps I need to take now. Well, you're going to lead me in the right ones. Some people, <laughs> I was talking with a very good friend of mine um, who um, was relocating um, because his career, he couldn't get it going here in Michigan here in Flint, not Michigan, in Flint. And the Lord was moving on him. Okay, you need to go. And he had the discussion um, with his pastor and the bishop. No, I'm not, I'm not releasing you to go. And he said, hold it. Pump the brakes. You came from the south, coming to Flint when Flint was the place to be, looking for opportunity. And now that Flint is the new South, you telling me I can't go? Your whole example is a good against what you telling me not to do. Or you would still be down South. So I can't, <laughs> you know, I can't in good conscience 
How do you in good conscience tell people to do something you're not doing? No, no. God gave me the steps to get, gave you the steps to get here. He might be giving me steps too that lead away from here. That's some good preaching, Pastor David. Yes, it is. Now, that's an inconvenient truth, but I preached it, so I can't go back on it. I'm just saying. Number eight is right sacrifices. In Malachi, um, it says that the Lord would purify the sons of Levi so that they can offer a offering in righteousness. Um, because if you are an abominable per person, your giving won't turn you right, right? Remember, Saul said, um, I disobeyed God, but I bring him this sacrifice. And then Samuel said, obedience is better than righteousness. And he said, your offering is like witchcraft and idolatry because you didn't do what God told you to do. So you can't pay offerings at church like they hush money. I'm going to be disobedient, but I'm going to give God enough money so he'll be quiet and leave me alone. Let me do what I want to do. No, that's not how that works. That's not how any of it works. All right. Do you see the power of this list? This, this for me, um, one day, I hadn't really taught this whole list like this, but uh, I'll, I'll do that for you one day. But I think you get the gist of it. The ones that I want to talk about when we talk about being a kingdom citizen and using your spiritual and natural citizenship is five and six. We want to be people in our workplace in the marketplace, in the school place, that we stand up for right systems and we stand up for right sentences. Something's wrong. Um, there are algorithms that are used to redline you in terms of your insurance. And so the people who who have the least money have to pay the most. Now, I understand I, I'm, I'm, I'm a businessman. I'm a full gospel businessman. I understand risk and reward. I understand all of that. But I also understand people, like, one of the reasons, listen to me, and I, I'm going to preach this one for, for the TV. Um, one of the reasons why I believe Christians should be in computer science is because Companies design algorithms to determine certain factors and put a price on you versus that person. And sometimes the algorithm is flawed because the person who programmed it was flawed. And somehow they come up with the list and then your stuff is always lower and their stuff is always higher. You got to pay more with less and they get to pay less with more. And then when you try to tell them they did something wrong, it's like you're beating on a dead horse. Nobody's home. And your bills are coming up, late fees, and all these other things is coming. Because it's a system. Does that make sense? If you don't get people in the system who can stand for right, that stuff doesn't get fixed. I 
how, why is only these people get the promotions? And it don't have to be that. Why is this this school or that? It's a lot of there's a lot of system stuff. We we proven um, it's not even do you have the money to go to the school? Now they paying they paying people to take the test for their students. Come on now. You know what I'm saying? Come on, man. You understand what I'm saying? All it, what did he say? There's a front door. This was, this was the language. There's a front door, and then there's a side door and a back door. Why don't they tell me where the side door is? I'm just saying. Okay. So, see, that's, that system is flawed. And everybody's coming out against them. But hold it, man. That, that, that's, that stuff has been going a long time. That's why they ask you at the Ivy Leagues, is your parent an alum? So we have to deal with those things. Okay, so let's deal with five and six. Look at uh, Proverbs 14.34. And it says, righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Now, this is national righteousness, not personal righteousness. Your being saved won't save the United States of America. That's not personal righteousness. That's talking about right systems and right sentences. If only people who, who rich get off, then the system is flawed. Sin reproaches. When you set up a system that's flawed, that sin is somehow going to bring judgment to that nation. Somebody say amen if you got that. So we should intercede and use our kingdom influence and righteousness to do what is right and equitable and fair. That's our responsibility. Look at 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 6. And it says, therefore, I exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercession, giving of thanks be made for all men. I'm supposed to be thankful for everybody, even the ones I didn't like and didn't vote for and who don't like me. For kings, for all who are in authority, that they may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. For there's one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. So I got to be careful. You know, um, that's why I have a problem when... People always want to correct me about this president, but didn't do the same thing for the last president. Okay, you know, you shouldn't be on the side of the controversy. He was the one that was saying whether or not the president was born in Kenya or not. And there were Christian leaders who said they can't even pray for him. And I'm like, where in the world, what Bible are you reading that you think that God's going to be acceptable with you as a Christian leader teaching other believers not to pray for their spirit, for their national leader. What in the world is that? That's the craziest thing I ever heard. And these were prominent national leaders. And they think that because, see, they're more American, and literally they're more Caucasian American than they are Christian. And if you call them on that, then they say, you're the racist one. 
You can't get this president, and I'm not, and I'm not mad. Listen, I'm not mad. But he'll go so far, he'll call, he'll, he'll call um, Islamic terror and, you know, Mexican gangsters and rapists. But then when white nationalists do stuff, there's a bunch of fine people on both sides. Stop that. Just stop it. Don't, don't, you know, I, I, I told the people, you know, I, I, I put some out just, just so that I could get a response. And I wasn't trying to be mean. They said, is, is make America great again? Is it, is it patriotism or racism? I said, it's more complicated than that. I said, everybody that does the MAGA thing, they, everybody ain't hating on me, but some people are. And then one person said, and then I said something about the people who are protesting protesting police brutality through kneeling. And then somebody wanted to correct me. Then I said, hey, hey, there was a, there was a black man in, in Dallas who was working for a Fortune 500 company, could have been one of my nephews. And a white police officer, female, went into his, his apartment without a warrant, shot him and killed him. And rather than the police down there searching her apartment, since they had no search warrant for him and he had done no wrong and he was in his own apartment, wasn't on no corner, wasn't doing nothing wrong, was a youth minister, was a youth leader at his church. And they were searching for marijuana on him versus going to her apartment and trying to figure out what was in her head that made her want to shoot him as a that's 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 a that breaks the Constitution. And so I said, I said, okay, all right, I, I feel you. And I wasn't even mad. I just wanted to have the interaction just to see. I did it just to see who, who, who would, who, you throw a rock into a crowd, the dog that barks is the one that was hit. So I just wanted to see what would happen. And one guy said, clearly he drunk the Kool-Aid, and I just did a laugh emoji and just like, ha, I moved on. But I responded. Now, I wonder if, if those same people who challenged me about how disrespectful it was to the military to kneel at a flag, said something about the president who talked about a dead veteran war hero like John McCain. Or did y'all just go silent now? Was it a big issue when somebody's kneeling, but when the same president you tell me to support is up there talking about, ah, I don't like, I don't like, you know, people who got caught, what? By your own patriotic standards, that should be offensive. But you quiet now, because he's your boy. Okay, all right, I mean, you can say what you want. What we want to do is do like the Apostle Paul. I'm going to go to Acts 22. I'm going to skip to Ezekiel 1. I'm going to Acts 22 media. Acts 22, 24 through 29. The Apostle Paul floated between his spiritual and natural citizenship to do whatever was required to uh, advance the cause of Christ. Let's look at it. It says, the commander ordered him, Paul, to be brought into the barracks and that they should examine him under scourging, which means they were going to whip him with whips so that he might know why they shouted so against him. And as they bound him with thongs, Paul said to the centurion who stood by, 
Is it lawful for you to scourge a man who is a Roman and uncondemned? When the centurion heard that, he went and told the commander, saying, Take care of what you do, for this man is a Roman. Then the commander came and said to him, Tell me, are you a Roman? He said, Yes. The, the commander answered, With a large sum, I obtained this citizenship. And Paul said, But I was born a citizen. Then immediately those who were about to examine him withdrew from him, and the commander was also afraid after he found out that he, had, he was a Roman and because he had bound him. Paul stood up for his rights. So I don't mind. Every citizenship right I got, I'm going to take advantage of all of them. There was times when the Apostle Paul would stand up because of, um, there was times when he would stand up on the basis of, I'm with some Jews that believe in the resurrection and some don't. And he says, I'm a Pharisee, y'all. We believe in the supernatural. The Sadducees don't, but we do. And he would get... <laughs> Man, the Apostle Paul was a, I was going to say he was a bad man, but that's that. I don't know if that would translate to my whole audience. He knew how to play whatever he had to. When, it, when he was with the Jews, he said, listen, I believe in the resurrection. They don't. And he got them fighting among themselves. And then when that didn't work, and, he, and they said, we're going to turn you over to the Romans, he said, well, then I appeal to Caesar. He went way over their head. See, that's why I tell people, you need to know the rules better than the people that's playing the game, because they just used to living on a privilege. Don't put it, don't put it in a manual, think I'm not going to know it. See you, see, you ain't had nobody check you read the rule book. Uh, uh, it's in there somewhere. It's in there. No, no, no. I read it. Here's the subsection. Let's go to this page. This is what it says. Listen, you better, you better work the system. Stop letting people work it on you. No, you work it on them. And when you stand up, heaven will stand up with you. Jesus appeared to Paul and said, I got you, man. I got you. Don't be afraid. I got you. Okay? So that's what we're supposed to do. And listen, we can do that standing up against people who hate us without hating them. I don't have to, I don't have to hate you to love me. I don't have to. And you're not going to make me either. I'm not going to go to hell for you. If you're going to go, I'm going to let you go alone. You, you're not going to make me hate you. I ain't going to even have to, but I can still stand up. You start saying, I thought you was a Christian. No, I am a Christian. You're not going to make me do that. You're not going to make me. Uh, 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 Y'all should just stay up in church. No, 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 no. See, you, you got the wrong one. You thought, I, no, 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 no. Those days are over. I understand my kingdom authority. I understand that I can take the spiritual authority and the natural authority and work them together to do whatever God's called me to do. That's what the Apostle Paul did. Say amen if you got that. Okay. Um, one last principle that I want to get to you today before we close up this series. 
is most people believe in generational curses, but I see another concept in Scripture. The concept that I see in Scripture is that people, even nations, can do things over generations, and then a cycle of multi-generational judgment hits and goes back and accounts for all the wrong done over a long time. Nations could do stuff for long years, year, 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 and then all of a sudden, God says, time's up. He stops the clock on that and said, now I'm going to judge it, and I'm going to go all the way back to the beginning, and this nation will get judged for all of the stuff that was done up until that point. Let me show you this in Scripture. Look at uh, Genesis 15, 13 through 16. God's speaking about Abraham. Then he said to Abram, know certainly that your descendants will be in a stranger in a land not theirs, and they will serve them, and they will afflict them 400 years, and then their time is up. Look at it. And also that nation whom they serve, I will judge. They will do wrong to him for a long time, and then in a minute, I'm going to come back and say, I'm judging all of it. All right? Afterward, they shall come out with great possessions. Now, as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried at a good old age. But in the fourth generation, they shall return here, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. So what was he saying? There were two judgment cycles happening he said, he said, right now, um, I want to give you this promised land, but my legal right to give you this promised land is when their sin hits a certain amount. That iniquity is not yet complete. It's growing. Sin is growing. And eventually, it's going to get far enough that I'm going to judge these people and give their land to you because of the sin. Right? On the other side, I'm going to send you and your people down to Egypt, and for 4, 400 years, it says, I'm going to, they're going to afflict, but then at the end, their sin is going to be complete, and I'm going to judge them. So the plagues that Moses brought down was for 400 years of payback. Isn't that what that said? For 400 years, I'm going, then I'm going to judge them. God, see, people think because they've been sinning a long time that it's never going to catch up with them. It may not catch up with in your generation, but some generation going to get caught. It's like musical cheers. Eventually, the music stops. That's what that said. All right. Oh, Pastor David. I mean, that's really what happened in Noah's day. They had been sinning until they filled up the whole planet, and then God brought down the flood based on that. But hold it. Jesus said it would be just like it was in the days of Noah. We've had a long sin cycle, and people think because they've been doing it a long time, judgment ain't coming. All right? Uh, Pastor David, that's an Old Testament concept. Okay, all right, all right, all right, all right, all right. Let's, let's look at Matthew chapter 29, chapter 23, verse 29. By the way, if you had a red-letter Bible, these words would be in red, meaning Jesus is saying it. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you build the tombs of the prophets and adorn the monuments of the righteous and say, if we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partakers with them in the blood of the prophets. 
Therefore, you are witnesses against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Look at verse 32. Fill up then the measure of your father's guilt. Hold it, hold it, hold it, hold it. Your father's sin, murdering prophets. And here, I'm a living prophet, and you about to murder me. So you didn't, you didn't repent from what they did. You just kept it going. Hold it, hold it. But, but now the music is about to stop. Y'all been murdering prophets for a long time. I am that last great prophet. Remember, Jesus had a parable about that. He said there was a man who wanted, um, had a vineyard, sent out servants to it, and he sent out servants to get the fruit of the vineyard. They beat one, they killed one, they stoned the other one. Then he said, at the last, I'm going to send my son. They will respect him. They killed the son. Then he said, what will be done to those people? Oh, he, that man will murder, he will, he will destroy them. What was he describing? The culmination of multi-generational judgment. That's a deep concept, but it's there. So just because granny got away with it and mama got away with it, don't mean you're going to get away with it. You might want to stop. Look at verse 33. Serpents, brood of vipers, how can you escape the condemnation of hell? Therefore, indeed, I send you prophets, wise men, and scribes. Some of them you will kill and crucify. Some of them you will scourge in your synagogues and persecute from city to city. That on you may come all the righteous blood shed on the earth, from the blood of the righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. Surely I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. So people stay with sin a long time, and then they let it build and accumulate over generations. And then a judgment cycle hits where the music stops. That's really... Y'all, that's a heavy thing. See, I believe, this is Pastor David, this is the principle, but now I'm going to tell you what Pastor believes. For hundreds of years... America was slaving people that looked like you and me. And then the Civil War came, and then there was a judgment cycle. And there was a whole lot of people that didn't look like you and me that died in that war. It was a judgment. Okay? Look at verse 37. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. So um, what God, what Jesus said is when the Roman emperor Titus came and made Jerusalem desolate and the, the, the Jewish historian Josephus talked about how bad the Roman siege was of that city. God... Jesus called it the big payback. I didn't have to say that. He said it. Okay. So what things are happening that we are accumulating? Do you think when um, the police force go after and target a specific community unjustly? Now, some stuff we're doing wrong. I'm not talking about that. But if you, if you talk, 
I mean, we got we got video where a man is running and the police shoots him in the back. And the only reason we know it is because somebody had their smartphone. They was killing before there were smartphones. Do you think that stuff is accumulating? If somebody don't repent, eventually a judgment cycle hits, especially when there's people that know how to believe God and ask him to fix it. Okay? That's a, that's a serious thing. All right, let's look at it in Revelation 16. This is my last scripture. You getting some out of this? Then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, go and pour out the bowls of the wrath of God on the earth. So the first went and poured out his bowl upon the earth, and a foul and loathsome sore came upon the men who had the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. The second angel poured out his bowl on the sea, and it became blood as of a dead man, and every living creature in the sea died. Then the third angel poured out his bowl on the rivers and springs of water, and they became blood. And I heard the angel of the water say, You are righteous, O Lord, the one who is and who was and who is to be, because you have judged these things. For they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. For it is their just due. He's saying it's, it's, it's their right. God, you're righteous because they earned that one. So we have to understand, like, when you see sin and stuff going, even when people get a, think look like they're getting away with it, man, you, you need to get off the cycle. Okay? So our, our, our part and our generation is to always stand for what's right, use our spiritual tools, the name of Jesus, the blood of Jesus, our ability to bind and lose, lose our, use our vote, our ability to petition, to protest, but all on behalf of what's right. I'm not trying to hurt you to help me. All right? What happens invariably is if you've been benefiting from the inequity of the system, then you don't want nobody to change it because you, you feel like you're losing your benefits. <laughs> yeah, 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 you, you know, you, you look like you, you're going to lose your benefits, so then you don't want the system to change. And, um, but God is telling us to do that. Now, we believe that God has given us a multicultural thing. And there'll be some places that other people can go who don't look like us. And I'm, I'm, I'm listen, I'm looking for you to stand up for right when you get there. Because you're in conversations that they won't, they, they'll make jokes around you, they're not going to make around me. They feel more comfortable around you. All right? Now, I'm not, I'm not asking you to just, just do what I want. I'm asking you to stand for what's right. Right? I'm asking you to be the salt in the decay. I'm asking you to be the light in the darkness. That's all. I'm asking you to bring the kingdom. Because when that's true, everybody gets blessed. Did you get something out of this?